This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Welcome everyone to the February episode of the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Connection, which is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. It's promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday, two weeks later at noon. We have Peter with us again today as Helen is out celebrating her birthday. We hope you had a good day, Helen. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you, Peter, for taking the reins. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And Helen, yes, have a good day. Mm. What's been going on lately? Here's a few snippets from the papers. Once again this month, being midwinter during the islands, there's been bad weather with high winds and snow, with ferry and flight cancellations. There's been some beautiful photos on Facebook including ones of the little snowdrop flowers and crocus poking through the ground, which is a sure sign of spring in Orkney and Shetland. But unfortunately, it means that here in New Zealand, our winter's not far away. Yeah, and they're always lovely pictures too. (laughs) And sad news from Sandness in Shetland with the investigations into the death of a 24-year-old woman. A 39-year-old man has been arrested and was taken to hospital for treatment after the incident. The police are not looking for anyone else in connection with the death. Thankfully, incidents like this are extremely rare in Shetland and in Orkney and will have a significant impact on the community. That is sad. Mm. It must be nice to live somewhere where that is a rarity. But it is, yeah. 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 That's the first one I've heard of for ages in Shetland. Mm. Mm. Unless we watch the TV series of Shetland. Yeah. And there's yes, one or two every week. They had plenty of murders <laughs> then, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Coming for your entertainment. <laughs> right. Viking Energy has admitted a fire broke out at the end of last year next to one of their turbines due to a generator fault. Emergency services attended the scene. Nobody was harmed during the incident and the fire was quickly extinguished. The cause of the fire, a fault in a mobile temporary generator, was discovered and measures have been taken to try and prevent it happening again. Also, 
At the end of last year was Yale's annual duck race, which raised an impressive 500 pounds for the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. This long-running event has been held annually since the 1980s and is a regular day of fun between Christmas and New Year. During the day, there are two races, one with yellow plastic ducks and the second a homemade race where people are able to make their own ducks. The duck, which should resemble a duck, has to fit inside a one-foot square box. Yeah, so you can't have one the size of a goose or anything. <laughs> it does sound a lot of fun, and also constructing the the homemade ducks, I yeah. can imagine parents with children having yeah. lots of fun. But yes, yeah. yeah, good chance to do things with the kids, yeah. Hmm. Another fundraising event before Christmas was the Stronze Christmas Charity Tractor Run. They raised an amazing £1,036.25 for the Scotland Charity Air Ambulance. The communities of both Shetland and Orkney are really very generous when it comes to raising money for charities, and it always amazes me how much they do give to charities. Mm. It's just, you know, mm. for small communities, yeah. And I suppose with their isolation, they have yeah. a, a greater appreciation for these services. Particularly too. for the helicopter. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. The building for the new MRI scanner in Shetland has been held up for the second week due to transport issues. The work couldn't go ahead because the modular sections, which will form the bespoke building, had not arrived due to ferry cancellations and poor weather. A huge fundraising appeal was launched in 2018 and saw more than £1.5 million raised in the first two years by the people in Shetland. Philip Medical Systems were awarded the £3.5 million contract to build the building. The scanner itself was due to arrive last April and become operational in early June. We just hope it will not be too long before it's up and running. Mm. Yes, it'll probably save a few trips to mainland yeah. once they get there. Yeah. Mm. It seems the Shetland Tunnel debate's still going on, with a priority list to be made to determine which aisles should get tunnels first. The Shetland Times has been told that a map will be drawn up to decide which island will get priority. There's been some uncertainty over the number of fixed links being pursued. The proposals initially considered five tunnels, serving Unst, Yell, Walsay, Bresse and Fetlar, but the Fetlar link has seemingly been dropped. The Fair Isle route is being taken forward through a separate business case. Yeah, a tunnel from Fair Isle to Shetland? would be a huge and expensive job, as it's quite a distance between them, like 32 miles. I mean, when you think of kilometres, how much that is. I cannot imagine it ever being built, really. No. Mm. Mm. I can't imagine that happening. No, no. Mm. More often than not, the sea claims its victims in these ways and by ones and twos. People moving across a vow in their small boat, fishing close to the shore, or on their way from one place to another. And when you look at the pictures, there's not a life jacket in sight. I mean, they just never thought of those things in those days. No. no. A prime example is the emptying of Papa Isle late in the 19th century, where the residents of the only two crofts had to move to Borough in Scalloway after three of the men were capsized by a wave and drowned while it's collecting driftwood. Occasionally this feat was accomplished by a denizen of the deep, such as an innocent whale, 
but sometimes, oh, and this was another word, cetaceous friends weren't so innocent. Another good reason to build the tunnels. Mm. That's true. It is. Or issue life jackets, yeah. Yes, well, that might be the cheaper option. (laughs) The North Ronald Sea Sheep Festival is a volunteer-led event that takes place in Orkney with the aim of rebuilding the island's historic dry stone sheep dike, protecting its flock of native seaweed-eating sheep. And celebrating the island's distinctive culture and tradition through music, art and education. The festival consists of one week of dry stone dike building, workshops and activities. The summer's week-long programme includes two daily three-hour sessions with instruction and supervision of Grade A listed dry stone sheep dike repair, a tour of the island's wool mill and lighthouse. Workshops including felting and weaving using native wool spun on the island. An island dance with traditional live music from celebrated local musicians and a visitors versus islanders football match. It doesn't cost anything to volunteer. In fact, as a thank you for taking part, the umbrella charity, the Orkney Sheep Foundation, along with the North Ronaldsey Trust and their funders, including the Lennox Hannay Charitable Fund, they cover the cost of all activities, scheduled tours and workshops. And if you take part in four sessions or more, you get your own free Get in the Stone Zone t-shirt. <laughs> so we could all get in the Stone Zone if yeah, we go over Yeah, there. it's something I would like to have been involved in, but it's a long way to go from here in New Zealand. And I think I'm a bit old now for lifting rocks. <laughs> Some of them, I would say, would be quite oh, heavy. It's amazing what you could do if you're motivated to get one of those T-shirts here. Then. Oh, yeah. Well, it might build up my muscles too. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we'll send a representative. Yeah. <laughs> I'll volunteer. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm coming too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll carry – well, I was going to say I'll carry your suitcase, but that might be too heavy as well. Might be heavier than the stones. Stones, well. yeah. Now, otters were probably introduced to Shetland by humans hundreds or even thousands of years ago. These are normal European river otters, not Pacific sea otters. I didn't know we had sea otters in the Pacific, but anyhow, you learn something every day. And in Shetland, they catch most of their fish in salt water, as there are no large rivers in Shetland. This means after each hunt, they must rinse their fur in fresh water to keep its insulating properties. You are most likely to find them in low-lying shores and within easy reach of a stream. They do fish in freshwater locks and burns, but most of their food is from the sea. About 1,000 live in the islands, making this one of the otters' main strongholds in the UK. Because of the long hours of summer daylight, Shetland otters have become used to going around in the daytime. In most other parts of Britain, they're nocturnal. In the early summer, female otters can be seen showing their cubs, usually two, how to hunt in the shallows of the kelp forest that fringes most of Shetland. Summer is also when the older cubs start exploring new territory. Otters are much more elusive to spot than seals, so if you're determined to see one in the wild, it's a good idea to hire an experienced wildlife guide to show you the best spots. Bizarrely, some of the best sightings of otters are from the cars queuing for the inter-island ferries. The rubble breakwaters at the ferry terminals are perfect otter habitats. Each otter may have five or six different halts, 
and the gaps between the boulders in these rubble breakwaters make highly desirable residences. <laughs> when we were in Unst just last year, we saw some of those otters mm. um, randomly. We went to the cafe, I think it's UK's most northerly cafe, and just over the road from the cafe, there they were, just <laughs> off the beach, seemingly two or three of them. Oh, you were, you were lucky. To, yeah. The locals were, oh, oh, yeah, there's some otters, but the tourists like us were, mm. were sort of rushing over there taking photos. Mm-hmm. But they were, um, we were told not to scare them, so mm. we had to sort of well, try and sneak we, across the road. I arranged for a group to go down to Omaru, <clears> and we were at the local restaurant down by the wharf, and there's little penguins there. And, of course, they've got viewing platform and everything where you pay. And when we came out from the restaurant, there they were trotting across the road. So yeah. I said to them all, you know, <laughs> I had to talk them hard to do that for us. <laughs> so we saw them for free. So it's funny how those things happen. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I'd like to know who the otter was that figured out it needed to rinse its fur. Mm. That they get to get the salt out. Yeah, salt I don't know. Out. At some mm. point they must have realised yeah. that they had You're to do right. that. Yeah, mm. yes. interesting. Mm. Oh, animals aren't silly, though. They certainly are not. <laughs> they work everything out. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, there can be no more iconic symbol of the lost gardens of Orkney than the big tree in Albert Street, Kirkwall. To those visitors of Orkney, even bearing the title Big Tree must seem as odd as its location because it's not very big. But its story is a magnificent one of survival and resilience. No one knows when the big tree was planted, but the sycamore was once in a garden, now long since gone. Until the 1870s, the garden was surrounded by a wall, which at one end was over 18 feet high. That's quite impressive, isn't it? Mm. The house, which it stands in front of, dates to about 1665 to 1676. And in 1762, Malcolm Lang, who was to become a famous Orcadian historian, was born in it. Ernest Marwick tells us that Malcolm Lang was a keen gardener and suggests that it was he who planted the tree. He continues, Among the imports to Orkney in 1803 were listed 16 bundles of young trees. Was the big tree included in one of those bundles? Since the removal of the wall, possibly by Thomas Slater, a Kirkwall chemist who owned the property and wanted to make more commercial use of of the ground, the big tree has suffered more much damage. There were two tall trees beside it, which Slater had removed. He also added the row of lean-to one-storey shops, which you can still see today. Yes, it has been quite damaged um, and knocked around by carts and vehicles uh, over the years. Yeah. What a shame. In the Orkney Herald of March the 15th, 1911, the following letter appeared in the newspaper. Sir, if the Town Council of Kirkwall are able to spare any time from secret meetings about the cathedral... Jeepers, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suggested that they might devote a few minutes to the fate of the big tree in Albert Street, and this was in 1911, and it's still standing as far as I know. Mm-hmm. A good many months ago, attention was called to its condition, and steps were to be taken at once for its protection and preservation. Though I pass it every day, I have not noticed that anything has been done. It has still been injured by boxes and barrows being set against it. 
it will soon be too late to do anything to preserve it. The signs of decay are rapidly increasing. I am signed BG. By July of that year, questions were still being asked through the local papers about why no decision had yet been made by the Kirkwall Town Council to help preserve the big tree. The question of the big tree's survival was even a subject of debates. In 1948, the Kirkwall Chamber of Commerce's popular meetings of the Brains Trust discussed topics such as why should a man marry? Mm. And has <laughs> the like to- all the big topics. <laughs> <laughs> and has the time now arrived to remove the big tree? The Brains Trust gave the opinion that the big tree gave great publicity to the town and should be left where it is. If it should die, plant yet another tree. The threat to remove the big tree continued well into the latter part of the 20th century, and yet it still stands. According to Ernest Marwick, one of the ways you could tell a stranger to the town was that they would pass on the inside, between the tree and the shops. Kirkwallians, used to skirting the garden wall, pass on the outside. And so its legendary status grows. Yes, when I was in Kirkwall before COVID, the big tree was still there, though looking worse for wear, and it has a metal rod up the middle of it now because there's only sort of half the trunk. You know, you can see right into the inside of the tree because oh. one half of the trunk's gone. So there's only half of the standing. How, how it's surviving, I don't know. Yeah. Determination by the sound yeah, of it. I, so. yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much longer it will survive. Stubborn, Maybe quite a while yet. A stubborn Orcadian, I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, one of the creatures most often a part of the customs of the Shetland Islands were the trolls, which are known in Shetland as trues, little people who lived in underground caverns in the hills and whose name perpetuated in places like Trollholand and Trollerwater. They were cheerful, happy people, full of music, good food and drink. (laughs) On the whole, the relationship between them and mortals could be described as a tolerant and almost peaceful coexistence in which each respected the strength of the other. However, the people feared them and took care not to offend them by word or deed. Some of the customs that developed about troves were... When talking about them, refer to them as da good folk, so as not to offend them. Mm. The troves abhorred untidiness, so the Shetlanders always made sure their homes were neat before they went to bed. If the house was clean, the trolls would bless the house, but if it was dirty, the house would be witched for a year and a day. That sounds like my house, yeah. It would give you quite a bit of motivation (laughs) Motivation, to do your housework. Which makes me wonder the origin of the story. (laughs) (laughs) From men rather than women. (laughs) Women who were nursing babies must be careful, as the trolls might carry off the child and leave an ailing changeling who would remain crippled or imbeciled until it died. The animals must be guarded as the trolls would carry off the best cow and leave in its place an almost perfect replica of the cow that would die in a few days. So if a cow died, you'd look at it suspiciously and think, oh, that wasn't mine. The trolls have been here again. It was a replica, I can tell. (laughs) Animals found dead in the hills were mere replicas of the real animals, as the real animals would be carried off for a trolly banquet. 
Oh, well, they're not silly, are they? The only protection for women and animals were an open Bible, a lighted candle, or two oat straws laid in a cross. It was believed trows were powerless when confronted with iron, so a knife and a reaping hook were often placed beside something people wanted to protect. Mm. Men and women who were spirited away to the trows' homes and allowed to come back told in great detail of the splendid underground mansion and elegant decorations. Mm. Trows loved music, and many of the Shetland fiddle songs were learned from the trows. If the trows left something behind in a home, it would bring good luck. However, it's believed that the power of the trows was broken after the Scottish Reformation and they've not been a problem since. In Wolsey in 1850, some fishermen were relieved, or were believed, and probably were relieved, to see <laughs> trows gather for departure. In Unst, it's believed that the trows left the island because they could not stand the preaching of Dr Ingram, the famous Freekirk minister who died in 1879. <laughs> <laughs> Unst, isn't that where you come from? It is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. That's interesting. <laughs> yes, I saw a map and there's 25 places in Shetland with troll in the name. Mm. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. so that Dr Ingram may have made an an unplanned permanent contribution <laughs> through his preaching. <laughs> to get, get rid of the trows. <laughs> right, this came from a big article of Deaths in Shetland. Let's now turn to a circumstance where we have evidence of a crime, but the crime itself is in question. Donald Robinson is now resting in the Crosskirk Cemetery at Eshenis. His is perhaps Shetland's most famous grave, as seen by his epitaph. Donald Robertson, born 14th of January 1785, died 14th of June, aged 63 years. He was a peaceable, quiet man and to all appearances a sincere Christian. His death was much regretted, which was caused by the stupidity of Lawrence Tullock of Clothester, Sullum, who sold him nitre instead of Epsom salts by which he was killed in the space of five hours after taking a dose of it. Oh, dear. And it, <laughs> and it might have been painful. Mm, could have been. Mm. However, in this case, we have the knowledge of time, place and mode of death. But was there more to this? Lawrence Tullock went on trial for culpable homicide shortly thereafter and, though found guilty, he only served eight days in jail, after which he moved his family to Aberdeen which is probably a good idea. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. However, the allegation has never been far from the crime rather than negligence. Donald Robertson was murdered. The allegation was that rather than negligence, Donald Robertson was murdered due to the close friendship he had with his male housemate. Yes, which didn't go down well in those days, did no. it? No. No, the nasty things that simmered under the surface. Yeah. Violence was ever-present in large and small ways. In the past, the body of a warrior was examined, probably Norse, who endured extreme wounds and was disinterred from elsewhere and reburied at St Ninian's. There has also been the well-known story of the Battle of Queendale in the middle of the 16th century, where it is said as many as 60 Shetlanders were slain by the Lewismen, and Lewis would have been from the outer islands here, the Hebrides. But there are small battles too. 
The most dreadful example was the chasing down and murder of the parson of Ulfa by Orcadians. It seems while Patrick Stewart, and I think Patrick Stewart was an Earl of Orkney, I'm just not sure, but he was someone, mm. was incarcerated, the parson continued to carry on Patrick's cruel work. Once he was executed, however, the parson became vulnerable to the same fate at the hands of a mob. Fleeing to Shetland, he was pursued by four Sinclair brothers who finally caught up with him near Nesting, where they slew him. And as if that was not enough, it is said, one of the brothers, still in a rage, tore open the parson's chest, ripped out his heart and drank the blood from it. How gross. Well, on that cheerful note, <laughs> we come to the end of another programme. So cheerio for now. Bye, Bye for now. <laughs>